Amen. Thank you so much, Brother Brother Ken and uh, choir and orchestra. Man, they brought the heat today, man. I'm excited uh, to be here uh, this morning to begin uh, our ministry here at Indian Baptist Church, preaching ministry. I'm so excited uh, to be here. I will say that if you're a first-time visitor or guest, again, I would love to meet you personally and would love for you to take a moment and fill out this Connect card, and you can bring that just uh, out this exit door to the left. Uh, There's a little welcome area. We can put that in your hands. And I also want to remind something for all of our church members that on the back of this, these are kind of new, uh, we've got a place for a prayer request. We want to be a church that prays and be a staff that prays. And so we, we're believing that, that we want to reach uh, thousands here in this community. And I don't say that tongue-in-cheek. We genuinely, they're here to reach folks. And so we want to believe that. But at the same time, we always want to minister to each other well. And so any Sunday, if you've got a prayer request or a way that we can minister to you, if you will write that on that section on the back of this card, a prayer request, you can put that in one of our connection boxes as you leave and uh, our staff will take time on Monday morning. We pray as a staff team from Monday morning from 830 to 9:30. We're going to pray specifically uh, for your prayer request. And so we want you to uh, be aware of that. And uh, I also want to thank everyone who came out for the work day yesterday. It was incredible. I had like 40 folks out here working. Give us just give them a hand, man. They did a great job. Uh, I, I don't know if it's normally the way that you initiate a new pastor, but I got put on weed-eating duty, uh, the kudzu down here in the corner. If you've ever tried to weed-eat kudzu, it will test your sanctification. It really uh, really is. I love the point, though, when I saw something running through the kudzu that looked like Jaws. I kid you not. It was coming. I saw it coming, and then a giant gopher rat ran out that apparently was like, hey, bro, you're all up in my grill. You know. So I was like, hey, man, I, I squealed like a girl and uh, was really thankful that I was far away from everyone else, but it was a uh, great work day. So thankful for each and every one of you who participated in that. But open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 15. Uh, And as I've been praying about beginning our preaching ministry, my preaching ministry here at Enon, the Lord consistently led me back to begin simply by focusing on Jesus and what it means to walk with Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul's focus of his preaching ministry was this. He said, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Church family, I truly believe that the Lord has prepared the ground here at Enon and desires to make His glory shine through His people here in a great way. Church family, I truly believe that. We're believing the Lord for revival in the days ahead. But hear this. It will not be because we're a people who talk about Jesus a people who sing about Jesus, a people even that do serving works in Jesus' name, but it will be birthed out of a people who are truly, intimately walking with Jesus. It'll be when the passion and the glory of God is pouring out from us like Moses when he would come out of the temple and have to cover his face with a veil that we sense as we walk out that people sense Jesus in and on our lives. And so today, as we look at John chapter 15, it's a passage that speaks to us. It's Jesus speaking to his disciples just after the Last Supper on his way to the crucifixion. And he's basically giving them some final teachings on how they can walk with him once he ascends back to the Father. In these first 11 verses, in this famous passage of Scripture, Jesus refers to himself as the vine, the Father as the vine dresser, and us, his followers, as the branches. So we're going to read this all together. Uh, John chapter 1, uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, and I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version. So Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, listen to this, church, so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be made full. Over the next six weeks, we're going to look at several truths from this passage of Scripture about what it means to walk with Jesus, or rather abide in Jesus, which is the phrase he uses ten times there. What does it look like for us to walk with Jesus? Now, before we jump into that, I want to give you a few reasons why we need to start off by talking about Jesus. First and foremost, it's important for us to talk about walking with Jesus because all of us can be easily distracted by Him. Can I get an amen here this morning for that? In the day and age in which we live, it's very easy for us to get distracted by what's going on in politics, what's going on in the healthcare system, what's going on with inflation and the economy. Uh, And in those things, we can become focused and we can easily lose our focus on what really matters. We very quickly can become Martha and not Mary. Secondly, it's important for us to talk about walking with Jesus because without the glory of Jesus being at the forefront of our lives, we risk missing what life is all about. About. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the purpose of your life is to glorify Jesus. The scripture says that he has purified for himself a people for his own possession, zealous after good deeds. C.T. Studd, in his famous poem from the 1800s, said this One life to live will soon be past, only what's done for Jesus will last. And finally, it's important for us to talk about walking with Jesus because when we aren't walking with Jesus, sin quickly follows. When I'm not walking intimacy with Jesus, it's very quickly for me to engage myself in things that injure not only the glory of God, but myself personally. We see this in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus spoke to the church at Ephesus and he said to them, you have forsaken your first love. And then he tells them, so go and repent and do the deeds that you did at first. I remember hearing a poem years ago that says this, When my hands are not folded and my knees are not bent, when my eyes are not tearful and no prayers are sent, then what will be expected and what will be saw but the increase of my failures and the coming of my fall. And this is true. When we're not walking with Jesus, this is a reality. So for all of those reasons and many more, let's jump into our text this morning. And the title of our message this morning is, Who is Jesus? Before we can talk about abiding in Jesus, we've got to first talk about who He is. Information always precedes intimacy. One of the things that I have loved about us coming home is kind of driving around reminiscing. I'm a little bit of a, I, I love doing, I'm nostalgic about things. And I was a little bummed out to find out that Ruby Tuesdays is no longer in Gardendale. Uh, for a couple of different reasons, uh, but the mainly one of the main reasons that I miss Ruby Tuesdays is, is that was the place that uh, I was privileged at 16 years old, asked my in-laws if I could take their 15-year-old daughter on a Sunday morning after church to lunch at Ruby Tuesdays, and I had to swear that I would bring her straight back home, and I'm fairly certain that they spied on us across the street to make sure that we did what we said we were going to do. 
But I remember sitting down and uh, never really been on a date before, and I ordered, as any 16-year-old guy would, the Colossal Burger. Do y'all remember the Colossal? It was like 17 patties with a giant knife sticking through the top of it. And I ate it in about three seconds because that's what 16-year-old boys do. And it's a miracle that my wife went on a second date with me because I'm sure that it was not a joy to see in that moment. But I remember loving getting to know Kimberly because I had to get to know her and then I fell in love with her. And the truth is here today, we need to know Jesus to be able to fall in love with Jesus. So who is Jesus? Well, the, the, the encouraging aspect is this passage, Jesus answers that right at the beginning of the gate. Look at me, John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the fine dresser. That's where we're going to spend our time here this morning. In this opening self-declaration by Jesus, where he refers to himself as the true vine, a theme he continues throughout his teaching, he is pointing us to several truths about who he really is. So if you're keeping notes this morning, our first truth this morning is that this verse reminds us that Jesus is God. This verse reminds us that Jesus is God. A theme throughout the Gospel of John is to show the divinity of Jesus, meaning to show that Jesus was God in the flesh. It's weaved all throughout the Gospel of John. John opens up with this in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. He says, In the beginning was the Word. That's capital, because he's speaking of Jesus there. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do you see that? And then he says about creation. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. From the very beginning of John, he says that Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. We see this all over the Gospel of John. John 10.30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. In John 12.45, Jesus said, He who sees me sees the one who sent me. So again, this is all over the Gospel of John, and it's found here right at the beginning of this I am statement in John chapter 15, verse 1. So let me give you two ways that we're reminded of the divinity of Jesus, the godness of Jesus, from John chapter 15, verse 1. First, we see the divinity of Jesus through the reference of Him using the term I am. Now this passage is just one of seven I am statements that are made throughout the book of John about who He is and in what He offers to those who follow Him. It's important to notice that John records that Jesus specifically used the introductory phrase I am as He made these proclamations. John made it clear in his writings so that this phrase would have unmistakably stood out to Jewish readers as a reminder of one of the holiest moments in the Old Testament. You may remember this. When God is calling Moses to himself from the burning bush and sends him to go back and set his people free, Moses asks the question, well, what if I am asked, who has sent me? And the Lord says to him in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am have sent you. Here in John 15, as well as all the other six I am statements of the Gospel of John, Jesus is calling attention to the fact that he is not just a prophet, he's not just a teacher, he's not just a philosopher or a philanthropist, he is not the narrow and often unscriptural characterizations that are given to him by a lost world. Jesus is not just your friend or your brother or your homeboy, but rather he is I am, he is God. You say, church, why does that matter here today? It matters because when you are calling on the name of Jesus, though we have free access to Him, we are calling on the name of God. 
Secondly, we see the divinity of Jesus here in this text through the relationship between himself and the Father, the vine dresser. Notice here he uses the term, I am the vine and my Father is the vine dresser. The term Father is a common reference by Jesus to the one true God, the King of the universe. This is even how he taught us to pray. Remember Matthew chapter 6, he taught us to pray what? Our Father. And why is that? Because Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of God here. By Jesus referring to himself as the vine and his Father as the vine dresser, he affirms that he is the Son of God. Now this is mysterious. It shows the beautiful and indescribable connection in the Father and the Son, reminding us that they are entirely connected but yet indescribably unique. The Bible affirms over and over again that there is individually the Father and the Son. Yet at the same time, they are together as one. Now this is mysterious in the Trinity. I've done a lot of seminary and sat in more classes and more, written more papers than I care to remember. But I'll say this to you here today. It is still a mysterious work. It's absolutely true, but it's still a mystery. Jesus refers to his uniqueness from God, but also his full divinity in God, saying in John 14, 7, If you have known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Do you hear that? He's saying you know him and you've seen him. The writer of Hebrews says that he is the exact representation of his nature. Jesus is the mirror by which we can see God. Now you may ask, Pastor Zach, why is this important for me to know that Jesus is God in the flesh? And the reason why? Because it changes everything when it comes to us abiding or walking with Jesus. One of the greatest struggles of the church is we often begin to walk in less reverence. We often begin to give God less respect that He deserves, which then leads to our lack of holiness and our lifestyle, passion and pursuit and pursuing Him, and so many other downfalls. Downfalls Because Jesus is God, it should bring us to reverence. You can't just flippantly say the name of Jesus or even flippantly sing the name of Jesus when you recognize that you're talking about the Lord of creation. The one who Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 is that one day every knee will bow before King Jesus. Because Jesus is God, we are brought not to just to reverence, but it also elevates my redemption. We know, theologically speaking, that Jesus had to be God in order to come, escape the sinful flesh of humanity, to be able to bear the sin of the world. But also, to think about that for a moment, we often tend to forget about the fact that Jesus was God coming to this earth. That God of all glory and all creation, He was there who spoke creation into existence. When God breathed into Adam the breath of life, it was Jesus, the Son of God, who was there. And when that creation, when we all sinned and separated ourselves from God, surely the offense of God could have been justified if He had turned His back on us and never gave us another thought. But rather, God loved us and came to this earth. It elevates our redemption. When I recognize that Jesus is God, it also, I should be overwhelmed by the relationship that I have and that is available in Him. When you think about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, Lord over all creation, it changes the way we hear passages of Scripture like Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, where He says, Come, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The God of the universe is saying, come, I love you, I love you, I love you. Kimberly and I watched a movie this, just this last week that characterized some of the uh, practices of uh, Islamic terrorists and some of their murderous activities. We've all experienced that. We just celebrated uh, 9-11, which highlighted those things. And there was a moment in the movie where you saw these Islamic terrorists, terrorists bowing and worshiping and praying uh, to their Allah in that moment with machine guns all around them as they were preparing to, right, as soon as their prayer time was over, to re-engage in murderous activities. And I looked at Kimberly and I said, how demonic is that? How broken and backward is that? That they're, they're worshiping a God, and they are worshiping a God, but they're worshiping the little G God, the God of this age. What ultimately they're worshiping is a demonic characterization of a false God that presses them to murder and kill, but rather the one true God flips that on its script and says to the world, I love you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Church family, this morning, if we're going to walk in intimacy with God, we've got to revive the fact that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. There's got to be a sense of reverence and a sense of holiness when I approach Him. That he invites me to come. He is God. The second truth that this passage reminds us here today is not just that Jesus is God, but it also reminds us that what Jesus offers is good. Not only does this passage point to the divinity of Jesus, but it also points to the accessibility of Jesus. By Jesus referring to himself as divine, he is using earthly terms to describe spiritual realities of what it looks like to be in a relationship with him. This is true in all the other six I am statements we see in John. In all the I am statements in John, we're given an illustration to describe who Jesus is as it it pertains to what he offers to those who follow him. They are statements of invitational and evangelistic in nature. They are Jesus saying, this is who I want to be for you. This is what I offer you. Now, theologically speaking, sometimes we can struggle with that to say, oh, oh, man, how can you truly honor God and, and give God all this glory if you see him as one who is just here to meet the needs of man? That seemed like that may diminish God, but the reality is it should elevate God because, yes, God is so sovereign, he is so powerful, he is so mighty, but he is so graceful and merciful and loving that he comes to this world and says, I love you, this is what I want to offer you in and of myself. So before we jump into who Jesus is as far as the I am statement here in John chapter 15, I want to briefly walk you through the other six I am statements here. So the first I am statement comes from John chapter 6 verse 35. Jesus here points to the truth that if you come to him, you will be truly satisfied. He said that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. How many of us here remember today what it was like in our soul prior to coming to know Jesus, but the how to be empty in our soul, how to be unsatisfied in our soul, but the indescribable satisfaction that comes when Jesus saves you and fills you. It reminds me of that old hymn that says, Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Can I tell you one of the greatest problems I think that hinders us from worship and evangelism in the church is sometimes some of us, we've gotten so far away from the moment of salvation we forgot what it was like to be lost. We forgot what it was like to be empty and Jesus to fill our soul. This is who Jesus says he is. 
The second I am statement in John 8, 12, Jesus points to the fact that, you've, that if in him you'll never be truly lost or alone. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Who here today can say that before you decided to follow Jesus, your life was consistently filled with hopelessness and darkness like you were lost in a cave. But when Jesus saved you, when you gave your life to Jesus, it was like somebody came into your life and turned the lights on and suddenly you went from being lost to being found. Praise God that that's the Jesus who we serve. The third I am statement in John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus points to the truth that if you're following him, you can enter into salvation for your souls. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, will go in and out and find pasture. All of us here today who know Jesus as Savior, remember the moment when your fear of where you would spend eternity when you left this earth in death was replaced with the confidence and peace to know that because you've decided to follow Jesus, your soul is saved and your place in eternity in heaven with him is secure. Praise God that this is the Jesus that we serve. Church family, I'm preaching better than your amen. And in a moment here, we've got to jump into what this is. We've got to let the truth of who God is speak over our souls this morning. But let me remind you also, and this is something we need to remember in this day and age, you are more than a body, you are a soul. And when you leave this earth, your soul and consciousness will stand before God and give an account to Him. And the only thing that will matter on that day is whether or not you know Jesus. Because those who don't know Jesus will forever enter into a place of judgment. But those who do know Jesus, not because of their good works, because of the works of He who has gone before them, the Son of God, are welcomed into eternal life. The fourth I am statement in John 10, 11, Jesus points to the fact that if you're following Him, you can know that you are sacrificially loved at a level that is beyond description. Think about this. The I am, the Son of God, says I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The Son of God has laid down his life for the sheep. How many in our community today, among our neighbors, friends, and family, need to know that they are not forsaken, they're not forgotten, they're not unimportant, but that they are loved with a love that was written in blood? Church family, this is what drives and motivates my soul as I drive around our community, as I hear about this subdivision that's going to have these 70, 80 homes, these communities, these places. As I drive and I run and I jog through these communities, I think of these houses. When I think of these houses, I think of souls. When I think of these souls, I think about the bondage of sin that all of us are born into. But I think about all that Jesus did, that those people could find life on this earth and life everlasting, and that is given because Jesus was a door. And he says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest the fifth I am statement we see in John eleven twenty five. 25 Jesus points to the truth that if you're following him you can be promised life after death when he said I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me will live even though he dies Church family, I've been a, in ministry almost 20 years now and as I can't tell you how many funerals and caskets that I have stood next to some were the most discouraging funerals you've ever been to when everybody in the room wonders and questions whether or not that person knew Jesus. But praise God for the ones that you stand next to. And in that moment, you can read John chapter 11 and say, Church, let me tell you something here, family and friends. Let me tell you something here today. This is just a shell that this person is no longer here, that they are more alive in this moment than they've ever been. And that's all because of Jesus. 
And then the sixth I am statement we see here comes from John 14, 6. Jesus points to the truth that if you're following him, you can find everything you need in this life by being connected to God. And he's the one who can introduce you. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life that none come to the Father except through me. Now before we, we jump into this last one in John 15, how wonderful are these promises that are available through Jesus and church family. You're going to find this out about me a lot. There's a couple things we need to do in church. We need to humble ourselves. We need to bow. We need to pray. And sometimes we need to celebrate. So if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, can we just celebrate him here for a moment about who he is and what he's done for us? I remember hearing stories about uh, dead churches and dead places where they go and they asked the question uh, one time to one guy said, uh, what do you think God would think about your church? And the guy left and came back and prayed and he said, well, I asked God what he thought about your church and God said, he don't know, he ain't never been to y'all's church. So again, that's, that's uh, not the kind of church we're going to be. We're going to praise and celebrate the Lord. But then finally here in our last I am statement, John chapter 15, this last powerful proclamation Jesus uses the imagery of the vine to show us who he is. Now, the imagery of the vine was something that was used all over the Old Testament. That God referred to Israel as his vine, the planting of the Lord. The vineyard played such a role in the Old Testament culture that the imagery that Jesus would have used here would have been understood by everyone. And so by Jesus speaking about himself as the vine, let me give you three quick things that you need to do, three quick truths that you need to know about who Jesus is from the picture of the vine. First thing you need to know here today are that vines are life-giving. Horticulturists will tell you that one of the main functions of the vine is to be a conduit by which life-giving moisture and nutrients are poured into the branches. That's why if you cut a vine, it will often bleed sap for a period of time. You know, this is a uh, season right now. It's muscadine and scuppernong season right now. And if, if you've got a vine and, and you've got a few left on the vine, then please tell this pastor about it. We can come and clean you out. Just this last week, Ella and I went to an old family member's house and was picking some. And we were sitting on the front porch and we were spitting holes in seeds. Now listen, that's about as good as it gets, okay? If I had a guitar, it would have been Andy Griffith right there on the front porch. with ain't B. But here's the... If you've ever taking a bite out of a full ripe muscadine or scuppadine, it's amazing how much moisture comes out of it, is it not? If you've ever into canning and making jelly and those things, it's incredible how much moisture. And you look at this vine that provides that. It, it's, it's really incredible what happens. And the truth is, is that what that vine does is it pours in all the moisture, all the nutrients, everything that that branch needs that then is passed along to those grapes and to the fruits. And what does this tell us today about Jesus? It tells us today that Jesus wants to pour into your life that which you desperately need. Jesus wants to pour life into your life. In John chapter 20, verse 31, as John is kind of wrapping up his gospel there, he says these. He says this, But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Have you ever been around those people that just the life of God, that's the only way I can describe it, the life of God just exudes off of them. They just walk into a room and it seems like Jesus just comes out of their pores, out of everything that they say. The first church that I was blessed to be able to serve at was in Jasper, Alabama at Farmstead Baptist Church. I got there, I was 20 years old and didn't really know what I was doing. And so I would get up in the morning and Sunday mornings the deacons would meet and pray and then they'd drink coffee before the service. I'd never really drink coffee before. And so I was trying to make myself drink coffee and I would pour a bunch of creamer and a bunch of sugar. And I remember D.L. Hendon, one of our deacons, came up to me, had this real growly, kind of raspy voice. And he'd say, Sean, that's not coffee, that's a milkshake. (laughs) 
But his brother, Von Hinden, was special. Vaughn was a stately man. He had white, beautiful hair. He had this deep, booming voice. He was like Charlton Heston. We used to call him Moses. But when Vaughn would walk into a room, and it was time to pray, it was time to worship, time to sing, you could sense when Vaughn had entered the room because the Spirit of Jesus would just enter the room. It wasn't boastful. It wasn't flamboyant. It was just the Spirit of God exuded off of him because he didn't come to meet with Jesus necessarily there. He came having already met with Jesus. Jesus came in with him. But the same is true on the opposite side of that. You ever been around those people that just, they're lifeless in their eyes? It can be those who are obviously unchurched, but maybe even sometimes those who are even in the church that have religion but don't really have a relationship. And they look like lions at the zoo. Have you ever seen lions at the zoo? They're alive and they're beautiful. But just something's different about them. Something's missing about them. You can look in their eyes and they're dead in their eyes because you can tell that they're created for so much more. And church family, that's exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is the more. He's the one who wants to pour into us the life of God, introduce us into a relationship with the God who created us, give us purpose and give us our function and lead us into life. Jesus is the life-giving source of our lives. So knowing and walking with Jesus here today is walking in the life of God because binds are life-giving. Secondly, binds are strong. One of the defining characteristics of binds are their strength. The woody nature of the vines boasts of incredible tensile strength. Kimberly and I saw this in Arkansas. We were, uh, moved into a home and we had a lot of the trees cleared out. And we didn't know it, but there were wild muscadine vines that were running up these trees. And I remember vividly watching an adult pine tree get cut down. I mean, a mature pine tree get cut down. And as it started to fall, it caught all of a sudden by vines on the next tree next to it. And this entire tree was being held up. Buy some vines, just some grape vines. What does this tell us today about Jesus? It tells us that if you're connected to Jesus, you have a safe and sure place to put your hope. How many of us this past year, we've all recognized and we've reassessed ourselves in the last 18 months, almost two years now, that we've, we've looked and asked ourselves, where do we really put our hope? Do we put our trust and our hope in money or health or government or relationships? And if we really begin to dive into that, we recognize these things are all shifting sand. They're not things that we can truly put our hope in. We've all felt it. We've felt the fear as we've had to reassess those things. I remember when the pandemic first started and they did a, there was a run on the grocery stores. I don't know if that happened here, but it happened in Arkansas. Kimberly looked at me and said, we were all kind of nervous. And she said, hey, baby, why don't you go to the grocery store and get us some bread and milk? I guess we assume that pandemics and snow are pretty much the same thing. I walk into the grocery store at Kroger there in, uh, in Benton, Arkansas, and it was an eerie sight. All the bread racks was gone. We went to the canned goods and people were just filling up their grocery with canned goods. And I know Jesus. I know that he is my hope. I know that he is my sure foundation. But in that moment, I kind of started to be afraid and I just started to grab some things. I didn't even exactly know what I was grabbing. I walked in the door and I had a can, an army-sized can of yams. I mean, it was this tall and this big around. Kimberly looked at me and she said, what in the world did you get? And it kind of dawned on me. I said, babe, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know. I guess I thought that if things got bad enough, we can live for at least a couple weeks off yams. But the truth is we all go through hardships and moments in our lives. And the pandemic may end tomorrow, but that doesn't mean that the world is healed or any better. None of us know what tomorrow holds. And we have to really ask ourselves, are we connected to the one who can really hold our hope? 
The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, speaking of Jesus, this hope we have as an anchor to our soul. Jesus is an anchor. He is the steadfast, sure connection. If you're connecting your life to anything else other today, it's all shifting sand. It's all nothing that you can really count on in this life. You say, I make a lot of money. I've got a lot of money in the bank account. I've seen that disappear in people's lives in a moment. See, health, I'm healthy, I'm doing well, and see that disappear in a moment. And the only thing that matters is what will matter a thousand years from now is who am I before Jesus? And the last truth that we see in this picture of being vines is vines are mobile. The final characteristic of a vine is something that probably most of us are familiar with here today. That vines have the ability to move and climb to incredible heights and stretch incredible distances. If you've ever had kudzu next to your property, you know this all too well. What does this say to us here today about Jesus? It says that Jesus can reach great heights and stretch great distances to reach those in whom he loves. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Isaiah 59, verse 1 says, Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save, and His ear is not too deaf to hear. That means for those of you in this room today, you may not be connected to Jesus. You may not have the the life-giving hope of who Jesus is. Your, Your life may not be connected to Him. You're far and distant from Him. You say, Pastor Zach, I'm too far away here today. I want you to know something, that the arm of the Lord is not too short that He cannot save, and God can still search you out and find you right there where you are. I got to baptize a man just a few months ago, 76-year-old Vietnam veteran. I got to baptize him because several in his family were sharing with him about Jesus. He had been atheist most of his life and was kind of bitter towards God. Some of that had a lot to do with the questions he had coming out of the war in which he saw some terrible things. But people had began to share the gospel with him family and friends and people were sharing with him so regularly and praying for him so regularly. And by the way, God still does that when we pray for people. God still answers and God still saves people. Until finally he said, he called me and said, Pastor Zach, I, I want to meet. So we got together for one morning for Cracker Barrel for breakfast because Jesus shows up at Cracker Barrel. He's already there. We sat down, we ordered our meal. By the time we ordered our meal, before our meal got there, this man was a follower of Jesus. He had given his life to Christ at the table. I got to baptize him a few weeks later. Let me tell you what the beautiful thing was. As we ate our meal and talked about what it means for him to now follow Jesus, with tears in his eyes, and he said, Zach, God has been pursuing me my whole life. And he told me the story about his great-grandparents in Wisconsin. It's where he'd grown up. And how he'd go spend a few days with them during the summer. And he said his great-grandfather was a man who knew Jesus. He said there was a prayer bench in their home. And he said he can remember his grandfather kneeling at this prayer bench for hours in the evenings in their home. And then how suddenly in moments he would jump up from that prayer bench and walk out the door and he'd ask his grandmother, say, where's grandfather going? And she would say, well, Jesus must have laid someone on his heart so he's going to share the gospel with somebody or going to minister to somebody. And he said he could always sense that something was different about his grandfather, that he wanted to know that Jesus. And then 70 years later, he ends up giving his life to Christ. I want you to know something here today, that Jesus is he who can reach you no matter where you are. Now, as wonderful as all these truths are here today to know about Jesus, that He is a sure anchor for your soul, that Jesus is the one who can pour into you life, real life, none of that matters if you don't really know Him. And one of the greatest reasons, I believe, 
that often people don't know Jesus or follow Jesus. It's because they're settling for something far less. Jesus refers to that here in this verse. He doesn't just say, I'm the vine. He gives it a qualifier there. I am the true vine. Let me tell you why Jesus says the true vine. It's because he's letting us know that there are such things as false vines. There are those things that we can connect our lives to, pursue our lives towards, that will never really satisfy. Money is a false vine. Relationships can be a false vine. Your kids, making your kids happy can be false vines. How many parents have I seen that they've given their kids, their whole life is about their children. And then once their children graduate and they go to college, it's all of a sudden life is over. How do I live? You see marriages fall apart because they've had no purpose in life because ultimately they're missing something. There's nothing wrong with blessing your children, but Jesus has to be your source. He has to be your hope. Your career can be a false vine. Your popularity can be a false vine. Anything that we allow to be a source of life that is equal to or above Jesus is a false vine. And the people of God have been guilty of that since time has existed. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 speaks of a moment in the life of the people of God when they were trying to find life from something other than God. And this is what God says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of living waters. You hear that? The fountain of living waters. The life of God. And they've hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Let me tell you the New Testament translation of that. Go to John chapter 4. As the Son of God sits next to a well, next to a Samaritan woman, who is trying to find love and satisfaction in relationships. And Jesus looks at her and says, The water you drink, you become thirsty again. But the water I give becomes life flowing up within you. And you'll never be thirsty again. Church family, if we're going to be a people who reach this community, it must be that we are a people who are solely connected to Jesus as our life. It'll be a blessing to the community. But it will be your greatest joy. But how many of us often can drift away and try to find a little bit of life somewhere else? Try to put our hope and our satisfaction somewhere else. We get worried and we pant after other things when really all that is needed is to rest in Jesus. Maybe that's you here today, Christian. You've got some false vines in your life this morning. I would encourage you, run to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you don't truly know Jesus. And if you are, I want you to know something here today. I've prayed for you, prayed specifically for you. Maybe you're searching God in your heart and life. Or maybe you're invited by a friend. Or maybe you know that you have religion, but you don't really have Jesus. We're praying against that here, by the way, at Enon Baptist Church. In any established church anywhere that I've ever served, there are those who have done everything that needs to be done. have checked every box. They have religion, but they don't really know Jesus. And so maybe that's you here today and you don't know Christ. You know what you can do? You just run to Him. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Call out to Him this morning and say, Jesus, I want to know you. Save me, oh God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you'll run and say, Jesus, help me to long for you. Help me to be like the psalmist that has the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs after you, my rock and my redeemer. I'm going to ask Brother Ken to begin to make his way back and and the instrumentalists to come and they're going to play softly. But I want to end, I want to tell you a story. I'm a storyteller. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I grew up in my mama's here this morning. 
We grew up on my mom all stories, front porch, and that's all we ever did was tell stories. Not of them were always true, but we told them. You know, I'm gonna try really hard to make every story I tell you to be a true story. Several years ago, I was pastoring in Northwest Alabama, and I had driven to Birmingham to go make a hospital visit. I went to St. Vincent's Hospital, where babies come from. So I went into St. Vincent's. If you know, you walk into the main entrance and you look to the right, the chapel is right there on the right. That used to be where the hospital ended, if you remember. But then they extended on the hospital and right past the chapel is a corridor now that opens up to a larger uh, facility. And the reason why that was there kind of before, I imagine, was because it was kind of secluded. You know, it was kind of a private place. Well, now it's kind of on a main thoroughfare. I had walked past the chapel to go make my visit. And I was coming back, and as I started getting near the chapel, I could hear some moaning. I could hear somebody travailing, and I didn't really know where it was coming from at first. And then I got closer to the chapel, I recognized it was coming from the chapel. And I paused for a moment to just kind of wait to see if maybe a chaplain or somebody there was going to stop by. But it was as if that moment, there wasn't a soul around. And I felt the responsibility as a pastor saying, I I don't know what tragedy somebody has gone through here in this moment but I need to just check and see if they have someone with them so I barely opened the door I peeked my head in and surely this person was there by himself all I saw was the back of a green shirt a man crying out calling out to God oh God I need you oh God I help help me oh God and so I quietly made my way towards him and I gently placed my hand on his shoulder and it startled him a little bit he turned his head to me and I said sir I'm so sorry to interrupt you I'm a pastor and I heard you as I was walking through and I just wanted to stop by and see if you're okay, if, there's, if I can serve you in any way. And I was expecting to find a man in the middle of a tragedy, but I found something different. As he turned to me, I noticed that his green shirt, he had his name on one side and St. Vincent's Hospital on the other. He was a custodian, a facility worker. And when he, I shared with him what I was there to do, instead of finding a man overcome with grief, a, a soft smile came across his face and tears were pouring down his face, but there was a peace there. And he responded back to me. He said, Brother, thank you so much for stopping to check on me. All is well. He said, I'm just in here getting close. I'm just in here getting close. One thing I could figure is it was his lunch break. Or maybe he was in there cleaning the chapel. He was a follower of Jesus and he had a moment there where the Spirit of God was overcome within him. He's long within him. And so he got down on his knees and he just started to cry out, Oh God, I long for you. Oh God, would you come? Would you help me? And I said, Okay, brother, I, you, you keep doing what you're doing then. And I just backed away. And it was just consuming my mind, this passion of somebody just pursuing the Lord. And I went back to 14 years old, Zach Reno, and I didn't know anything but the fact that Jesus had saved me on Reno Street, just about a mile and a half from here, where I would cry out to God and ask Him to come and just fill me with more of Him. I just wanted more of Him. And as I made my way to my truck, I put my key in my ignition, I cranked it up, and then finally I I couldn't go anywhere else. I turned it back off, and I just said, Oh God, oh God, I just want to be close. I just want to be close. And you know what happened? Jesus stepped into that car with me. Can I say something to you here today? Any time that I've ever set my heart to seek God, He met me right where I called out to Him. And church family, this is where we begin. This is our hope that you would just walk with Jesus. And so this morning, would revival happen here today if it just happens in every one of our hearts? Would we leave here today and say, Jesus, I'm going to pull up every false vine. Every worry and care. And Jesus, I just want you.
Would you do that this morning? You can do that by kneeling at this altar. You can do that by allowing one of our pastors to pray with you. Some of you got some vines maybe that are deep down rooted. You need some help pulling them up. Again, church, can we just be real here today? In a crowd this size, there's somebody struggling with maybe addiction here that nobody knows about. Some of you struggling maybe with a worry or fear that nobody else understands but you and God. Can I say something here today? The church, if we're going to be a church, we need to be real. So let's come forward and let somebody pray for you. Let somebody link up. Come and lay at this altar and say, oh God, I need you. Start that step towards revival today. And if you're here this morning and you just need to know Jesus, call out to him right there where you are. Just bow your heads just for a moment. Would you say, dear Jesus, I don't know you. But I want to know you. So I give my life to you and I say, oh Lord Jesus, would you save me? I really want to follow you, Jesus. So I give it all to you. I pray, save me, oh God. Save me. Pray that prayer right there where you are and Jesus can pour your soul with life. While you respond to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to stand. Our ministers are going to be up front. They're going to be available to pray with you. This altar is open if you want to come and kneel. If you ask Jesus to save you this morning, I encourage you to take that connect card of the seat back in front of you and mark on there, I gave my life to Christ today. Or you can come forward and let one of us know and we'd love to celebrate with you. If you'd like to join this church, and again, our pastors are available, but seek the Lord right now while you can. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. God, would you give us obedience to follow? Lord, I pray that, God, you would just fill afresh and anew the hearts of your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's seek the Lord as we sing.